Elliot, tell me a little bit about Sandra Botello. Well, she moved here in 2014, and she got a city sticker for her 2003 Lincoln Continental. And it was only valid for a few months. I think it was only valid for three months. So it took me a month to get a job, and then I had to put my kids in school because it was the end of summer. So I couldn't do it the next month, so the following month I got another ticket. Botello, she's really proud of her kids. The two of them actually got scholarships to private school, and she had to still pay a $400 registration fee. And that was due around the same time that her city sticker renewal came up, and she paid the registration fee first. I'm sure any any mom would do that first. And that's when the tickets started piling up. She got five city sticker tickets for $200 each within 45 days. Eventually, she did go in to renew the city sticker. Um, when I took in the 82 or $86 that I had to pay for it, they charged me an additional $60 for it being late. That was on top of the ticket and on top of the city sticker. So our monthly income was $800. And with these tickets, it's like, how am I supposed to pay for this? So then what happened? Did she end up paying for all the tickets? She eventually did get a city sticker. She did come into compliance, but she ended up owing $3,000 worth of tickets, mostly from late penalties. And according to towing data that I collected, uh, her car was booted in March of 2015, and then it was towed the following day, and she had the valid city sticker on the window. And that's where I was like, well, here's my car keys. I don't know. I, I There's no way I can get it out of the impound because I think they were charging me for all of the tickets, and then they were charging me for towing. Plus, they were charging me for every day that my car had been there. And I was like, I don't even know where this impound is. It's like, I don't even have 250 to get on the bus and go there and come back. And it's like, I don't have any family or friends that I can just call. I mean, it's just me and my two kids. And after 33 days of the impound, the city sold her car for $138.96. Not a penny of that went toward her debt. everyone, this is On Background, the WBEZ politics podcast. I'm Becky Vivi. This week, parking and traffic camera tickets generate millions for the city every year. But that system is putting a big burden on Chicagoans, many of whom are the least able to pay. And they end up with spiraling debt. Joining me to talk about a joint WBEZ and ProPublica Illinois investigation are WBEZ's digital editor, Elliot Ramos, and ProPublica reporter, Melissa Sanchez. Hi, guys. Hey, Becky. Thanks for having hey, us. thanks for having Thanks us. for coming in. So walk me through first how a single ticket can eventually lead to the city seizing and selling your car. How does that even happen? I think it starts with just how much these tickets cost. Like Elliot was just telling us, Sandra got hit with five $200 tickets, all, you know, within a month or so of each other. That's $200 per ticket. And then she didn't pay them. So tickets double. And then the city tax on a 22% collection charge is $488 per ticket times five. That's the cost of a couple of months of rent for somebody like her. And so you had to pay off all of this money to, to clear debt with the city. But it's not just that. There's consequences that start coming with it, including license suspension and, and booting and towing, which is what Elliot's been looking into. It's very, very easy to actually get to this point. A lot of people just think that... They have this illusion that there's a bunch of people that are skirting all these red light cameras and trying to avoid the boot vans, and mm-hmm. it's not really the case. A lot of times is that w- once you reach this point of, like, the, the fines doubling and you can't pay it all up front, 
then they go after your car, and then they go after your license. And, and sort of snowballs. Yeah. And then there's new penalties associated with all of those things. Like, you know the numbers off the top of your head. How much is the boot fee? The boot fee is 100 bucks. And then the tow fee? It's 150 bucks. And then if you go go to the tow yard to get your car, you have to pay the boot fee, the tow fee, the daily cost, plus like 50% or 25% of all the outstanding debt. That can be like thousands of dollars. So just to get your car to impound, you have to have all the fines that were previously, including all the late fees up to that point, paid off the tow fee and then it's a $20 per day storage fee and then after five days it goes to $35 per day oh my gosh okay let's let's back up a bit because I think I speak for everyone in the city of Chicago that parking tickets here are the worst and they're really obnoxious the city issues them as if they're candy on Halloween and I want to know how did you start reporting this story you know all the fines and fees how did you get at the the data and the people affected? I think we came at this in different ways. I started from bankruptcy court. One of my colleagues in the New York office had written a big uh, national piece on, on bankruptcy, and he noted in the story that Chicago was kind of an anomaly. There's a lot of Chapter 13 bankruptcies. Um, and one of the reasons, according to one academic study from a few years ago, had to do with debts to the city. With my colleagues in the Chicago office here, we spent months looking at bankruptcy records and data and found that over the past uh, 10 years, um, the number of people filing for bankruptcy with debts to the city has skyrocketed from like a thousand or so a year to more than 10,000 uh, last year. And that's that's just a staggering figure. And the amount of money that they owe is, is like 4,000 bucks each. At this point, um, it's been almost a year and a half of my life. I've been like gathering data from bankruptcy court, from the city ticketing apparatus, which is privatized and to kind of fit together, like how big of a problem is it? And then and then the real thing, the most important thing, of course, is people like, like you said, this is everywhere Everybody knows tickets suck. <laughs> Nobody wants to get them, but it's it's taken like knocking on people's doors and discovering, you know, a woman who told me that, you know, her mom had filed for bankruptcy and her grandma had filed for bankruptcy and she'd filed for bankruptcy and she was helping her boyfriend file for bankruptcy when you wow. realize this is insane and it's like hurting generations of people like kind of like we, we didn't even know this was going on. Elliot, at one point you were able to actually look at Sandra's whole record. I'm curious. How did you get that information? Where, where were you pulling files from? So I was pulling both towing and ticket data. So we have ticket data that goes back to 1996. Wow. And I have towing data for the past 20 years. I spent a very long time. I knew all this stuff was going on, but I spent a very long time actually trying to find people. And a lot of the things is that... Uh, a lot of people move around so much that you can't find them, mm -hmm. which is kind of funny because also the city can't find them. One of the little weird things about not having current addresses is that the city can't actually mail tickets properly. So a lot of people are getting double fined because they didn't get the initial tickets in the mail. Sandra actually had her ticket stuff sent to her uncle's address because she had moved from one place to another. So we can see it in the data. But when you find individuals and they tell you like, oh, no, this is this is that bad, it really just... it. It makes the data, like, more real. I don't know if that says anything. And then with, uh, with Sandra in particular, she actually reached out to us in July of last year after we published an investigation into, like, some shenanigans in the city related to tickets. And, like, people have been coming out of the woodwork saying, like, this happened to me, too. And mm -hmm. we've gotten dozens of, of calls and emails from people like that. Wow.
So you all have been looking at this for over a year, digging into these numbers. What are the big findings? I, I think we could break it down in just a few numbers for you. I mean, I think one is tickets represent a huge chunk of Chicago's operating budget. Something like 7% of, of the budget comes from ticket revenue. Uh, people owe the city a lot of money for unpaid tickets, something like $2 billion in unpaid tickets. And about 67,000 people in 2017, they got their cars booted. And some people, about 8,000, lost their cars to the city. The city sold them. And that was just in one year? That was in one year, yes. Wow. And this is impacting certain parts of the city a lot more than other parts of the city. Let's talk a little bit about where Chicagoans get trapped in this sort of ticket debt spiral. What did you find? So a couple of things. Um, one, enforcement is not happening equitably in the city. And so we, we just released a big uh, like app that you can look at and see where enforcement takes place by wards. But there's some kinds of tickets that are being issued more in some neighborhoods. And like because Chicago segregated, we can say that, you know, black neighborhoods are getting hit with more expensive tickets um, that are the compliance tickets like Sandra's uh, $200 city sticker ticket. And, and, and these disparities are driven by tickets issued by police. Police are one of a number of agencies that can issue tickets. So there's more police concentrated in low-income black neighborhoods issuing more tickets. So that's part of the problem. The other part is that if you pay your ticket on time, you only pay those $200. But if you're poor and you can't afford to pay it on time and you have to pay it late, you end up paying $488. So you're being you're being like hurt more because you were too poor to pay for the original cost. Another big one was license plate registration or not having a, a valid plate. The compliance violations, we found a lot of those happening in neighborhoods like uh, Patello's, which is the South Shore neighborhood. I think it was like CBS actually did an investigation where they found that the parking too close to a curb. It's those things that, like, they just keep thinging you. Like, if your uh, city sticker isn't in the lower right-hand corner, they ding you. If your plate fell off or I found one guy, he had to put it in his windshield. They ding him for that twice. He he lost his car, too. Botello got, she got two of those tickets, too, for parking too close to the stop sign. It's it's just this perception for some neighborhoods that they're just trying to go after them. And the thing with the CBS investigation is they found that there were more signs saying, you can't park past the sign in white neighborhoods than in black neighborhoods. So, I mean... Right. That's you can't. If you don't know that there's a violation, how do you know you're violating it? And the city kind of just approaches it as like, oh, ignorance isn't that's an not an excuse. excuse. You both mentioned that if you don't pay the first one, y- your fines go up and up and up and the tickets double. And that happens more in poorer neighborhoods because people have an inability to pay. I'm wondering, the city has this whole system to generate revenue. Are they actually making money off of it? So they are making a significant amount of money, but it's coming from the neighborhoods that can pay. So somebody who runs a red light camera, they live in a, in a tonier neighborhood, they can put $60 in the mail, no problem. For somebody that's $60 or $100, is that's groceries. And especially if you live in a neighborhood where you need a car, uh, one of the things that people don't think about often enough is that some neighborhoods that are more connected to the transit system, they don't have to own cars. And that's very nice and convenient for people. But for people that live in some, certain neighborhoods, you need a car just to get around. Mm-hmm. And I think we, we probably ought to do more analysis still. The city makes something like $265 million a year just in the tickets. That's the revenue that they claim. But it would be interesting to do an assessment of how much the city is spending to pay the people to issue the tickets, to pay for all the, the dozens of private contracts that to are actually involved run in this. Program. So I think, like, at the end of the day, they're probably still making a little bit more money than, than they're paying out. But it's like at what cost and for whom? So what has been the official city of Chicago response to all the stories you've done? Well, they restate the rules and regulations to us a lot. Um, 
whenever we ask questions about whether or not it's fair or whether or not it's been done equitably, we get a, like a verbatim sort of restatement of like these are the rules and regulations. They have plenty of time. They can get on a payment plan. For example, Sandra Patello, the person we've been talking about, she's on a payment plan. She's paying it off at $103 a month. But Melissa can tell you that that doesn't fix everything. Yeah, there's often a $1,000 barrier down payment. And so just to enter a plan and you enter a plan in order to get your license back or get your car back, you have to pay the city $1,000 if you have substantial debt. And that's very impossible for a lot of people. And you can file for bankruptcy for free. So people do that instead. Oh, wow. Um, Elliot, you've done some reporting about the city clerk's office trying to make some changes. Tell us about those. Well, what we've seen from this whole issue is really political because lower fines means less revenue for the city. And what we've seen from the clerk's office is pretty politically safe. The current city clerk, Anna Valencia, she's, uh, well, one of the things that she did was to prorate the city sticker. And she didn't actually lower the cost of the city sticker. She didn't lower the cost of the ticket. She didn't eliminate the $60 late fee. She just prorated the stickers for installments and and four-month installments. So that's politically safe because the city's not at risk of losing money there. It makes it easier for people to purchase it or purchase it in uh, pieces. So, like, if I'm a college student, I'm going to go with that option. Um, They don't need to pay $100 at once or whatever. Yeah, because sometimes also the, the, the city sticker runs the same time that people People need to get their plates uh, updated, so you have to pay two costs. Just a lot all at once. (laughs) And and then she also, the big thing that she did in December was announced a a huge citywide task force involving all of the agencies that are involved, uh, the folks who do the ticketing, finance, law department, et cetera. And so over the next several months, they're meeting to talk about, like, what reforms they can do. Um, and uh, planning to deliver a series of recommendations to the new mayor when he or she comes into office in May. Speaking of Chicago's next mayor, there are 14 candidates in the race. What are you hearing from them about what they plan to do once in office on this issue? What's really interesting is that every single one of them says that they would do something to reform the system so it's not so punitive or regressive against uh, people of color in the city. Um, so all of them sent us uh, specific pledges of, of what they would do. And there's some common themes like um, ending license suspensions over tickets, overhauling the payment plans, um, ending the city's anti-scofflaw policy that makes it hard or impossible to get a job if you owe debts to the city or um, or getting a job at the school district or CTA. Um, and then some kind of more some more out there ones that are that might get a lot of popular support, like getting rid of the controversial red light camera programs altogether or Amara Enya and her hashtag ban the boot, which is a big thing on her. That's her kind of been her thing. She uh, I, I know that uh, a lot of people have been talking about this, like Willie Wilson has been talking about it for a long time. Vallis has been talking about it for a long time. But Amara's her thing has been f- from the get go, like, let's get rid of this. It has to be uh, she calls it, I think, justice equity. And her whole thing has been around this particular issue. Hmm. So apart from those bold proposals, are there any other candidates who sort of stick out on this particular Well, I issue? think I think it's probably worth mentioning that Susana Mendoza was city clerk at the time and instrumental in a decision in 2011 to raise the cost of the city sticker fine from 120 to $200. And as Elliot and I have reported, like that decision, and it wasn't just hers, it was a city council and a mayor behind that. It led to some pretty um, terrible consequences for poor people in the city, a lot more debt, a lot more bankruptcies. And because we reported on that, that particular issue sort of like exploded for the candidates. It's like another thing to like hit each other over the head about. So now everybody's on that bandwagon. Um, But she has uh, issued a really significant list of policy reforms to kind of address that and other problems in, in, in this 
city. I think she's the only one who's actually talking about debt forgiveness. Um, well, who knows what that would actually mean in practice, but there's some two billion with a B dollars in outstanding ticket debt in the city. So I, I personally think um, some of that would, wouldn't be a bad idea. Mm-hmm. And then Tony Preckwinkle, who has been hitting Mendoza over this, um, she proposed doing a, a, a review or a task force. And I'm like, uh, do you know that the city clerk currently has a task force? Like, oh, <laughs> I wasn't aware about that. So you educated one of our candidates, Elliot. Good for you. That's a good idea. You can find all of the candidates' responses to this question on WBEZ.org as well as ProPublica.org. ProPublica Illinois and WBEZ, in partnership with the Institute for Research on Race and Public Policy at the University of Illinois at Chicago, are hosting a forum next Wednesday, January 30th at 6 p.m. That's at John Marshall Law School in downtown Chicago. It's going to be based on this whole series. The event is free, open to the public. You can register online at either... WBEZ's website or ProPublica's website if you're interested in talking more with these two reporters um, or learning more about the issue. Thank you guys so much. Thanks, Melissa. Thanks, Elliot, for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. It's been quite a week in Chicago politics, and we didn't want to let you go without catching you up on some important developments in Chicago government. On Wednesday, a bombshell report from the Chicago Sun-Times identified Alderman Danny Solis as a government mole in the federal corruption case against Alderman Ed Burke. Burke is the city's longest-serving alderman, and we've done a couple episodes about the FBI investigation into alleged extortion of a Burger King franchisee. Burke maintains his innocence. Number one, I've done nothing wrong. And no recording that Danny Solis can make would change that. But the revelations that Solis, who's been on the council for over 20 years, wore a wire for the feds is sending shockwaves through the political establishment, particularly with aldermen, who seem to have a different definition of right and wrong sometimes. Here's our colleague Claudia Morell. For many veteran aldermen, the news was a betrayal. One said she wanted to cry when she heard. Another said it was like he betrayed the family. Alderman Matt O'Shea of Beverly a neighborhood that has more city police and firefighters than any other, took a long pause and put it this way. I was raised, if you don't, haven't done anything wrong, you don't have anything to worry about. Um, but where I come from, if you wore a wire, someone's going to kick your ass. Alderman Brendan Riley represents downtown Chicago. His ward has more business before Solis than most. Every high-rise development in Chicago goes through Solis's zoning committee. I don't understand the circumstances that led to him having to wear one in the first place. The best way to avoid having to wear a wire is to stay out of trouble. This drama continues to reach deep into Chicago's mayoral race. This week we got news that candidate Tony Preckwinkle hired Burke's son at the alderman's request, despite a misconduct investigation. And WBEZ reported that candidate Susana Mendoza got big campaign donations from Solis and his allies, prompting many to wonder, is this just the tip of a much bigger iceberg? That's all for today. Reporting for this episode comes from Elliot Ramos and Melissa Sanchez. Our editors are Kate Cahan and Alex Keefe. Our producer this week is James Edwards.
You can rate, review, subscribe, and download the On Background podcast in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow all of WBEZ's political coverage at wbez.org slash politics and always on air at 91.5 FM. Also, on Monday, WBEZ will be publishing a candidate questionnaire to help you sort through all of the different positions of all 14 candidates just in time for early voting, which starts downtown on Tuesday.